Good morning, Jesus family. How are you? If you have a Bible, I'll give you time to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat somewhere. And if you still can't find it, I know you have it on your phone. You can open up your Bible app. And as we open up this book, let us never forget that this is a sacred book that we open. I hope and prayed for the last month when I found out that I was preaching that you would be a people obsessed with this book. My desire is to see you as a people obsessed with not only Jesus, but spending time with him. And I believe the most effective way of cultivating this obsession is by spending time alone with God in the scriptures as much as you possibly can. You are holding God's word in the palm of your hands. So as we have a book, if if our Bibles are collecting dust, I'm praying that God would literally constantly make your eyes look at that book and summon you to open it up. And every time you open this book, I hope you sense what you are doing. You're hearing the sacred words of God. Every time, whether you read Old Testament, New Testament, if you read one line, you read a chapter, it is God speaking to you. But before we jump into the scripture, which I am ready to vomit, I want to ask a couple questions before we do this. Because I believe that these questions give us a glimpse of what the author is doing and asking his church and reminding his people I love, I love how God intertwines worship when the band did not know what I was preaching in their songs. That song, Remind Me, oh man. I was like, Lord, yes, Lord. But the first question is, why are we here? Why are we part of this local body? What is the mission of God? What is the mission of the church? Who do we follow? And do we have faith? Last week, Christian Ware blessed the church with his teaching in Acts. And man, I've listened to that sermon three times. The points he made was so spot on that I could not help but get excited while driving a 30-foot community truck coffee, uh, community, tru- uh, community coffee truck, and I'm sitting there listening to it on my little speak I got in the car because they got born radio. And I just, man, I was like, yes, yes. And there's a camera that watches me 24-7, so people probably say, hear me saying amen and stuff like that while I'm driving. <laughs> but they confirmed things that have been brewing in my heart for a month. And Christian knows this. I've already called him and talked to him about it. But Christian didn't know what I was preaching on. Neither did Jeff, per se, because we didn't, we, I actually didn't make my um, selection until right towards like two weeks ago. But I was praying about something that was brewing in me. But that sermon that he spoke, Christian spoke through, and God spoke through him, I just felt God say, yes, it's time to preach what you have been stirring. And so know that this is what has been in my heart for a month or so. So let's read chapter 12 together, not the whole thing. We'll read verses 1 through 5. And you know this scripture if you've read your Bible often. 
And I can say I've read this hundreds of times, and what popped out to me was something I've never noticed before. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such sin from endured from sin is such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. These verses were written to second-generation Christians. Those are, who, those are the ones who learned from those who actually walked with Christ. These were men, women, and children that had been awakened to see that they were sinners and were so amazed that Jesus had rescued them in their sin, failures, and brokenness. It was the people who knew the true God of this world loved them, became a man like them and for them, poured out his blood for them, represented them, adopted them into God's family and kingdom, and that his mercy and grace never stopped working for them. They knew they were a new creation, that the old had passed away and the new had come and begun. That from the start, they did not follow Jesus to gain acceptance, but they followed because they were already granted acceptance. And everything they Everything that flowed from them was from gratitude for the massive things God had done for them, that Jesus was their identity. But they forgot. They started to get weary. They started to get faint-hearted. I believe the verses that we are looking at today are sentences from God to his church. And I pray that God would lead us together to be Again, to be to being challenged and changed as followers of Jesus today. Listen to those words again, but I'm going to go a couple verses back because it gives you a better understanding of what he's saying. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made Perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sin and such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
Do you notice that the author is concerned about the church? And this letter is a message to them. In Hebrews 13.22, the writer writes this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That appeal is like him warring with his words to gain access to their hearts again. He's saying, don't forget the recipients are Christians that are in trouble, but not from outward threats, but mainly inward threats. Sure, there was persecution during that time, and it was hard for the church, but the author's not focused on outward persecution. He's focused on the faith that saved them, which they were letting slip away. The author's writing to stir their hearts to their Messiah once again. I love that this letter opens up. If you read Hebrews chapter 1, it opens up with the supremacy of Jesus, how Jesus is over prophets, creation, and even angels. The inward threat that the author is warned against is them breaking away from the faith in the gospel and slowly going back to their old ways. Let's be honest, how often are we more like Peter? He denied Christ, right? We know that part, but he didn't know what to do, so he just went back to what he knew, what was regular to him. The author's telling him, don't turn back to you always. Don't, don't, don't forget that it was Jesus who unchanged you from your addictions. There, you can't unchain yourself. The old ways are going to do the same exact thing that they did to you. They're going to separate you, hinder you. Weight is going to come upon you, and you won't be able to look. And by them doing this, they were starting to enslave themselves again and trying to uphold their own righteousness. It's like the author saying, what makes them righteous? What makes them holy? What makes them rescued? How is their faith? How is our faith? What makes you righteous? What makes you holy? What makes you rescued? Who gave you faith to believe? Hebrews 12 is about the faith that fuels there in our very lives. The faith that keeps us from returning to our own darkness. The faith that causes us to be different, unworldly, alien, and to believe in radical things. Like God can do miracles. God can reach the furthest, most darkest, most wicked, most unresponsive, most hardest, most vile sinner on planet earth. And it is only the gospel that could crumble those things. We could come with eloquent speech. We can come with cool uh, witness ideas and stuff like that. But it is the gospel that moves through these hearts, that does these things. We believe in things like we are a new creation. We are children of light. We are adored by the God of the universe. That sin is not a hindrance that stops Jesus from rescuing sinners and changing things around us. That new creation has begun and is continuing. That Jesus is the king who will reign on this earth one day, but reigns in our hearts and souls right now. That no matter 
what comes against us. We have a God ever present with us. That just when we think there is no hope, when we think all is lost, when we think that there is no return, when we feel so empty, when we are so thirsty for more, when we begin to sit on the shore because we are scared of the waves, when we feel so tired, depressed, confused, and alone, that is when God shows up. That is when we see Jesus walking on the waves towards us. That circumstances, and he looks at the things around us in the circumstances, and he is the only one who can say, be still. And he looks at us, and he looks at the believers in the past, and he says, you know that I am God. The author reminds them of the faith that is supposed to fuel the race that God put before them. In this section, the author is more concerned about what the faith does instead of what it is. However, in previous chapters, the author does focus on what faith is. Trust in the promises of God to be fulfilled. They will come to pass. If you've got your Bible, let's look at chapter 10, verse 32 to 39. This is where the author really reminds us of this. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you, that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, he says, yet a little while, and the coming, the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back or, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What is the author telling his readers there? Remember the promises. Church, remember the promises of God. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't changed his mind. I believe the promises of God, we will continue to see them more and more and more and more. Before the author summoned the minds and hearts of his readers to see the cloud of witnesses, the writer gives us a brief introduction to the nature of the faith. It is its power in human lives, its solution to the problem of the world's origin. And he does not give us an abstract, an, an abstract definition. We see this in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it is seen, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
You see, faith is an assured conviction of the existence of invisible realities. And these convictions are not based on our emotions or our feelings, but are based on the revelations which God has made us to see. He opened our eyes to see and to grow and to know his word. But, but what the eyes of the hearts and souls and lives most importantly, preeminently see, is the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The faith the author is talking about is something that is so intensely practical and real. It is not sentiment or mere speculation. It is expressed with our very lives. The faith always leads us to behold and then to act. The faith is chiefly concerned about the way the future affects the present, but how it began in the past. It is all encompassing. It is all around us, even within us. The faith is Jesus living in and through his people. That's the way that we endure. The way we endure is Jesus. See, church, that we are so surrounded by witnesses. And you read chapter 11, the Hall of Fame. They did mighty things. They did wonderful things and even impossible things. And we can draw courage and lessons from their lives. But notice, as the writer writes, they are not the ones we fix our eyes to. They can show us that we can lay aside things, that hindrances are not our masters, that God can so change things around us and even with us, and even they they even live this way, and they live this way for us. But even them... They're fixed their eyes on someone else. That was the thing I noticed as I was writing this thing at 2 o'clock this morning because the Lord changed my sermon on me. We're surrounded by witnesses. And we can hear their cheers. We can see their life. But we have to notice who they're gazing upon. We're in the dirt on the track. Surrounded in the stadium. That's what the author gives you a picture of. It's it's an arena-style language. And we're seeing Moses and Daniel and Ezekiel and Deborah and Esther and people that we haven't even heard of, Levi and Judah and all these people and David and all this stuff. And they're, they're cheering. They're saying things. And we gain strength. But what we notice is their eyes aren't on us on the dirt. Their eyes are at the end Who is the prize? And we look, and what they want us to do is not look at them. They want us to shift our direction towards Jesus. That's why the author says, look, we're surrounded, but we must fix our eyes on him. They are shouting that there is one way. They are screaming one truth. They are celebrating one life. This way, truth, and life is the one who found them and the one who perfected them. He is the one that had a joy so deep inside of him that what was set before did not make him quit or forfeit the game. This joy caused him to endure a challenge like no one else, a war that our minds can't fully understand, a judgment so just that all before and after him would crumble under 
And it was him who was victorious. It is he who is seated at the right hand of God. And it is he who sits there with his father in spirit. But he also sits there for you and me. There's only one victorious one. We humans, we want so much glory. I think of celebrities. Just think of them for a second. Right, it's cool. Yeah, they got whatever. Do you notice as more glory they get, the more they crumble? Because there was only one who can hold that amount of glory. And there's only one that we should look to. And there is only one that we should bet our lives on. There is only one that we do things for. So let us hold these verses in our hearts as sacred sentences from God and open ourselves up to see what God is telling us. Because right now, God is here. He is right here in Covington, Louisiana. He is in Mandeville, Louisiana. He's in Madison, Louisiana. He's in Tickfall, Louisiana. He's in Hammond. He's in Baton Rouge. He is every square inch of this earth. He's right there. And his spirit is with us. So when we gather as a church and serve and on mission together, we are doing something so massively different, so massively wonderful. When the church gathered, it's together proclaiming the supremacy of God so that they can grow in love for God together and shine as lights together to be more like Jesus and call others out of their kingdom of darkness. You see, our race is not done because the one who sits on the throne for you and me and all his children in our city, neighborhoods, families, all around the world, in every city, hill, countryside, hut, cave, continent, every job, school, prison, addiction, lifestyle, on every square inch of this blue ball we call earth, it is he who is still not done. He promises he will make all things new. That's why we serve. That's why we gather. That's why we fellowship. That's why we celebrate. That's why we share. That's why we give. That's why we spread. That's why we encourage, why we open our homes, why we don't grow weary, why we mend, why we reconcile, why we forgive, why we teach, why we baptize, why we do Bible studies, why we stay, why we move, why we pray, why we trust, why we believe, why we love, why we welcome, why we invite, why we break bread, why we offer, why we worship, why we remember, why we remind, why we befriend, why we parent, why we work, why we disciple. This is why we are on mission together. Because the one on that throne is not done. Church, don't forget. God's not done with you. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your ailments. It doesn't matter your weaknesses. It doesn't matter anything. He's not done with you. That's what the writer of chapter 12 is telling him. Like, guys, he's not done. You need to keep running. You don't run on your own. Look to the witnesses who are looking at him. Let them remind you over and over again. You need endurance. And this is what endurance, the faith that you fell in love with first. He has so much more for us to see as a church, so much more to experience and feel and hear and taste and be a part of. 
Don't grow weary. Don't let, the, that's, don't let sin stop you from moving forward. Look at your hindrances. Look at what you are hindered from. Lay them down. Because what we and others will hold is so much more good. We will reach the end of our race. And what we get to hold, what we get to hold is his face in the palms of our very own hands. Our faith is not blind. Our walk is not meaningless. Our struggles are not odd. Our mission has not changed. Jesus is still on mission. Jesus still calls us to follow him. And he has never left us alone. So the question is, what part of the race are you to run? Church, we're not done yet. Because that's faith. Jesus is not done yet. Let us not throw in the towel, but let us wrap the towel around our waist, proclaiming what the witnesses are. We run for you. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for Hebrews chapter 12. Lord, there are are moments in your children's lives when a sentence just pops out, slaps you, and changes you, wakes you up. Lord, I know that this was more of a pep rally talk than an in-depth Greek word study of what the Bible is saying. But Lord, that arena picture Help us not to forget that we're on the track. And it may look hard. There may be obstacles in front of us. There may be even doubts within us. But what you want us to do, Lord, is you want us to get into the stance like the runners do and wait for that moment. Ready, set, go. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless every single person here. I pray this week that they would, they would, they, the, the, this scripture would literally aggravate them. They would think about it so much. But not in a bad way, Lord. In a way where, they, where we, Lord, together as a local body, would sit there and go, what part of the race am I? How do you want me to run? What lane do I take? And Lord, I pray that everybody, here and online, Lord, I pray those that watch online, Lord, I, I love that they're online, but I pray that one day they would, well, they would be here with us. The body's not supposed to be distant. It's supposed to be local. And so, Father, I pray that one day, I pray one day that everybody in our church would show up at the same time.
pray that we would sit there and take that call seriously, Lord. These scriptures seriously. Where do I run? In Jesus' name. I want to help us uh, with an application point because faith has been stirred in our hearts and and Kerr has served us well um, with his love for the Lord and his desire to see God's will come about in this church. The conversations that we have as a pastoral team are what is God doing? And what I will point out is that word together, living on purpose together. Uh, We began this year with the the pastoral burden saying we, we have... We have a church that feels disconnected. We want to connect together. And so we began doing things with the purpose of connecting one another. And the lunches and the, the gatherings that we did were the, for the purpose of connecting. We're there. We're connected. We believe that. Where we're asking the church to go right now is investment. Relational investment that will look like how do we make the next step toward a togetherness. Where it's a fellowship that does not feel... Um, hollow. We want a fellowship that feels when things feel miserable in life, we have people in our faith family to go to, to lean on, to be encouraged, and also not for us to receive that, but to give it as well. And so we're asking for that investment. We're asking for that investment so we can begin to see God do something amazing in this church. We believe God wants to save people. We believe he wants to gather wandering sheep. We believe he wants to add to our midst, our faith family, those who are disconnected from the body of Christ. Believers who are disconnected. And so this is what we're asking. I'm going to ask this. uh, From now until the end of the year, I'm going to ask that we as a church commit to be here on Sundays. Kerr said it. We, one of the things we say as we meet, we meet on Wednesday afternoons and we rehearse uh, our, our previous Sunday gathering. We look forward to the next Sunday gathering, just trying to figure out what stirrings are in our hearts. And we have been in agreement that it's just, it's bizarre how some days this place is really full and the next Sunday or two are really empty. And I, I would say it to you like this. Parents know this feeling. You know when you and moms who labor over a meal and bring all of the place settings out and children are missing from the table. That's what it feels like when people are not here. That's what it feels like in my heart. I love you. And many of you have been to my house. You know we have a huge 13-foot-long table. And I love having a lot of children, and now they're married, and they're having their own children. I love that house full. But there is this, this weird thing in me, as, as, as much joy as I have when I can have some, now my kids are all in different places, and as much joy it is to have everybody on the same table, I still miss that one. And I wish that one could be here as well. So when you miss, that's how we feel. There are things that happen, yes. In a few Sundays, I'm moving Beth up to Baton Rouge for, to, to attend LSU. I'm going to miss church that day. That's understandable, right? What we're talking about is when a tough day on Saturday happens and we just don't feel like going to church on Sunday. 
That's how, that occurs too much. When, when there are family things that some are legitimate, some are, you know what? We can just wait until one. We don't have to do it at 11 in the morning. You feeling me? This is, we, we have to invest. In some ways, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But you know people who are not here right now. How does the investment look? It looks like approaching them, talking to them. One of the things that uh, the Lord has, has stirred me to do is uh, from our men's meeting, I'm going to be contacting all the men in the church just to find out how you're doing. You're not in trouble. Like everybody tell the pastor, uh-oh, I see Jeff's name come up on my phone. Am I in trouble? Am I getting called to the principal's office? No, I love you. I just want to connect. Kerr's been doing that. We, we as a pastoral team want to do that. We want to serve you to connect because... It's worth it to be on mission together. Amen? Amen. Let's recite our commission together. Jesus, having all authority, he says to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them all things. (laughs) Hold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. See you next Sunday.